Hey, this is Chris, the host of the Overflowing Life podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I have two quick but important requests to share with you. First, we're planning something really special and exciting at the end of this season, a question and response episode. I'd love for you to be a part of that, and all you got to do is follow us on Instagram at The Overflowing Life and DM us your burning questions or any topics you're seeking clarification on. Your participation will make this episode truly interactive and enriching for everybody. Second, we're a brand new podcast, so we rely on your support to grow and reach more listeners. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe and share it with two other friends who you believe would find value in our content as well. Your recommendation really means the world to me and helps our community thrive. Thank you so much for your support now. On with the show. My mind is almost always chaotic. I really have to be intentional about carving out that quiet time to let my thoughts settle. It's a really important part of being a leader because it also leads to clarity. Welcome, friends, to this episode of the Overflowing Life Podcast, where we navigate the crossroads of modern leadership, authentic living, and the redemptive power of business. I'm your host, Chris Lagarde. In the relentless pace of today's business world, pause and reconnect with time-tested practices that ground our souls. From the clarity found in moments of solitude and silence to insights gained through reflection and rest, discover how these ancient rhythms can prevent us from getting lost in the business grind and instead help us lead with purpose and vision. Hello again, Adrian. Hi, Chris. How are you? Doing well, doing well. In all transparency, you know, we're we're recording two in a row. So, you know, we it's not been a lot of time since we've seen each other. So uh, you're still doing good, right? So it is still my day off and my kids are still at school. So yes, I'm doing great. Good. Beautiful. And I'm so glad that's the case because the topics we're going to be talking about today, following up from the first episode of like, okay, there's a problem. We've got a problem, Houston, right? To last time was surrender slash acceptance, understanding you can't control everything, you can't be certain about everything. To now, like okay, that was kind of a like a, a mind shift. You can practice it. We gave you some practicing things. However, now we're going to start to talk about okay, well, what else do we do with this hurry distraction? You know that's going on, and um, I love that we're going to talk about silence and solitude, which is kind of like your like your kids aren't home. You could practice that, and we're going to go through a handful of things. Silence and solitude kind of go together, or solitude slash silence. We're going to talk about contemplation and reflection. We're going to talk about rest, and we're going to talk about authentic community. And today is not a deep dive into these things. They are going to be pretty quick. And uh, so we'll give some resources. If you want to hear more, we could probably do whole long episodes on each one of these. So let us know if that's the case. But I, I want to start by by you know kind of talking about we're asking the question to you, Adrian, when you think about those practices I just mentioned, solitude slash silence, contemplation, rest, and authentic community, what I, it, is that something that's happening a lot? Or do you kind of need to be a little rebellious in putting those things in place? I think most people have to be a little rebellious in putting those things in place. It's, it's very counterintuitive, right? We talked yes. in our first episode about how... We are in this perpetual culture of busyness, how we're always hurrying. There's always a rush. It's really hard to slow down. It's really hard to um, take the time to pursue and to seek out silence and solitude. 
and rest and even building community, you know, that takes time too. So I think that uh, those are probably maybe difficult things for some people to, to practice. You know, in thinking about this, so I grew up, um, I went through a few phases in middle school, uh, identity wise, and eventually landed on, which I, I still, um, still hold on to, which is kind of, you know, skater, punk rock, kind of whatever. Uh, and I think about the, the, I recently read a, a autobiography by Greg Graffin, who is the lead singer of a band called Bad, Bad Religion, who I love. And, you know, it's like I was reminded we've got to have kind of a punk rock fu kind of attitude when it comes to the expectations of culture, and it's like, man, that's almost essential because you've got to be a little rebellious to push back against the 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 flow of society right now, which certainly feels like do more, be more, put your best foot forward, you can't fail, and you can't rest, sleep when you die, kind of an attitude. Would would you feel the same thing or is it just me? No, I think that that is the the societal message that we get, especially as we think about Enneagram 3 America, as you and I have kind of surmised that that's what uh, America's Enneagram number would be. But I was also thinking how it probably varies from person to person based on their Enneagram type, because I was just thinking about I know many people who are perhaps Enneagram nines or twos um, or sevens, and they are much more protective of their rest time. Um, they're much better at it. Um, and then I know some some Enneagram maybe ones or threes where they're like, nope, no resting, not ever. Nope, there's more to do. Got to keep going. And so it probably both depends on your personality type, but maybe also your level of integration. Because I'm by no means saying that any of these types, you know, can't rest or, or that there are only workaholics, like it's, it's available to everyone. I think some people just might have more of a natural penchant for protecting that time and preserving that time than others. Yeah. Yeah. And to bring this to, uh, the leader's plate, you have to, it's the whole thing of putting the oxygen mask on your first yourself first. Right. If you're not taking care of yourself and, you know, you, you've, man, and it is so tempting to, to a lot of us as leaders to be available more than we should. You've got to have some ways to push back and say, no, uh, here's, here's my boundary. I was with a leader this morning in an organization who is younger and newer to the organization. And he had a mindset and an understanding that he had to take care of himself. And when he joined this organization, organization several years ago, the people that are at the top, don't didn't value that as much and they had some core values discussions around like defining certain things in the organization where it was a he had to stand up and kind of fight back to say no we need to put some self-care stuff in here like that's important and i was like dude good job like that's not you're newer to the organization right you're newer to that organization you're younger good for you Yeah. Well, I think that you're absolutely right when you said it's a little bit rebellious, uh, a little bit uh, pushing the envelope, especially I'm thinking people in corporate, you know, in in education, that's not such a novelty. Um, You know, we we are focusing more on mental health and rest and making sure that we are promoting a culture of holistic wellness. But I would guess that in corporate, that's maybe not the case. And so I just want to applaud any leaders out there who are making that a priority and really pushing the agenda for for wellness and, and preserving rest and boundaries. 
It is not common. And as a leadership coach, I see it a lot. One of the first things I address with the folks I coach is how are you, how, what practices do you have? And, and if you're not, what are you believing that's, that's permitting you to keep up that pace? So it's, it's important to, you know, kind of address that. And a few, maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, I don't need those things. Right. However, let's, let's take a second and pause and say, Hey, if any of these things apply to you, we did this in the first episode, I'm going to bring them up again. If any of these things feel familiar to you, you might want to consider some of these things we're talking about. So if you're irritable, right, almost all the time or way too easily, I know that's been the case in my life where I've been too busy. It's like, Oh man, I just fly off the handle so easily. You know, you can't shake the pressure you feel from having too much to do in too little time, or that's always the case. I have way more to do than I could ever get accomplished. You're always rushing and relentless. You might label yourself a workaholic, right? Maybe you nonstop activity, even when you're on quote unquote vacation, you have a hard time kind of resting and, and, and being. You're fearful about the future or defensive or easily, def- easily uh, offended maybe hypersensitive. There's a, a, an escapist behavior, maybe like you're overeating or you're over drinking or binging on something like Netflix or routinely spending more time talking than listening. And those are just a few of the signs that maybe you need to start to consider with withdrawing, surrendering, and then using some of these practices. Yeah. One other thing that I would add to that too, is if you start to understand that you don't find pleasure in the things that you used to enjoy, you might be burning out. And I, that was a personal thing for me that when I was working around the clock during the pandemic and was just being stretched so thin, I love to read. I have learner top five. I have a stack of books. And when I get to the point where I feel like I don't want to read, I don't have the capacity to read, I really have to start to question, what's going on and what is my level of wellness right now? So if you're feeling like there are activities that you don't really enjoy or you don't want to pursue anymore, you might want to, might want to get a little bit curious about what's going on. I le- Thank you for saying that. Um, that is a really good canary, so to speak in the, you know, in the coal mines, they used to have canaries cause they couldn't tell uh, if the, uh, if the air was still good, that is a great canary to pay attention to. All right. Let's, if it's okay with you, Adrian, I'd love to dive into silence, uh, solitude and silence first. And uh, let's talk about what is it, what is it not, and why is it important? And so there's a quote by uh, a guy that I respect the heck out of, uh, Sp- uh, Pete Scazzaro. Uh, and he says, You can't live at warp speed without warping your soul. And I'm like, Oh, that's so My true. Job. I felt that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, it's that picture of like just going and you're just kind of, losing parts of you, you're going so fast. And so, you know, he also says, you know, I, when it comes to solitude and silence, I'm not asking you to add one more thing to your already overburdened schedule. He says, I'm not even asking you to make a U-turn and rearrange your life around an entirely new way of being a leader. It's it's nothing short of groundbreaking and culture-defying um, as it's like an act of rebellion when you go into solitude and, and be alone. It's very different than what the contemporary Western way of doing leadership is. And in my life, it was the hardest one to do because, well, let me ask you, Adrian, why do you, why do you think it might be hard for us, specifically in the West, to stop, to be alone, undistracted in silence and solitude? Why do you think it might be so hard for us? 
Well, it's hard for us to slow down. It's hard for us to prioritize because we just have this never ending to do list. Well, we don't have time to stop and get quiet. We just, we have to keep going. We have to keep going. So I think that's one reason, but also I think sometimes people equate solitude to loneliness and maybe there's some fear in being alone for some people. Maybe, um, maybe there's trauma there. Maybe there's abandonment. Maybe there's some reason that is preventing them from pursuing solitude or, or from wanting to be alone. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, you hit on, on something about loneliness and fear. And I'll, I'll start by saying this. I looked up a brief history of America. And when you look at who founded the country, the Protestant work ethic that, you know, um, succeed and be, do this stuff that, that allows you to succeed and wealth build in the American dream and all of this. When you look at that history, it's all about doing, right? And the, it, it's all about doing. And solitude is about being. And in doing its activity, it's going, but being, what happened for me when I first started practicing this was all this stuff, I've got to do this, I've got to get this done, you know, this is falling apart, or and, and then it was, then stuff came up that was like deep-seated fears, am I good enough? And then eventually it was like I broke through the sound barrier and everything was like calm. And it's like, we've got this buildup of these fears and to-dos and all these things that are distracting us from possibly, like you said, trauma and pain that we're ignoring that we haven't processed through yet. And I think it's that we are afraid to just be and allow those things because we haven't processed through it. And that's really important because if you don't process through those things, as we said before, it will show up in other ways. And, and so I think those have, those things have a lot to do with why we are not practicing. We don't have a solitude practice. And I, I think there's also this work ethic, this way of doing in our American culture, right? We ask, what do you do instead of who are you? That we ignore the being side because being doesn't feel productive to us. It doesn't feel like I'm achieving anything. And when that is the case we 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 don't see value in it when in fact it is incredibly valuable and if we don't get back to a place of just being and allowing ourselves to to kind of calm down it, it's like I know kind of I have a lot to share on this because I'm excited about it it's almost like if you are if you see a body of water let's call it a pond and it's been stirred up and the sentiments all in it that's what we're doing and instead you just let it kind of be still and let the sediment settle to the bottom, then the water becomes clear and you can actually see clearly. And we are not stopping. We need to start stopping. And and even from a distraction standpoint, you know, our phones, we just don't give ourselves the space to, to like, there's those little times when we're at a doctor's office and we just, we sit there or we're, at, you know, waiting for somebody. Instead, we pick up our phones and distract ourselves into oblivion and uh, our conscious and, and our soul space doesn't get a chance to breathe. Oh, constantly. I think we fill every spare minute with looking at the phone. Not everybody, some people. First of all, I loved your metaphor about the lake that was, or a pond that was beautiful. Um, but the phones, yes. And it's just, uh, it's, it's intuitive. Like it's almost reflexive. Like we, we don't even realize it. Oh, we've got five minutes to wait here. We're waiting in the grocery store. We're sitting at a red light. We're sitting in the doctor's office. I'm guilty of it too. 
and I become much more cognizant about it. And I've intentionally been trying to not do that. So if I'm sitting in a waiting room and I know that I'm going to be there for 15 minutes, I am not going to get out my phone. I'm going to just let my thoughts sit. I'm going to kind of let that sediment sit down at the bottom. And so being conscious about it and really being intentional about not filling those empty minutes, maybe that's even a a, a little mini challenge, right? Where, okay, we're not ready to take on a, a full day or even a, an hour of quiet and solitude Let's not fill the gaps with looking at the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look up, look around you, what's happening. And I want to make this point, and let, let's get practical for a second after I make this point. Uh, you know, there's, I shared on Instagram recently, at this point, when this airs, it'll probably be a few months back, you can look for it. But there was this guy, John Ortberg, that was talking about a few things. And, and he was sharing about how, because we outsource our managing of consciousness, if you will, to phones and screens, it, we may be at the point in human history that uh, where our managing of consciousness is the weakest it's ever been. And I had mentioned David Benner and how he defined the soul before, where our soul, quote unquote, is our space to self-reflect and be self-aware, which I think also equates to consciousness. And if we are not being in that space, being self-aware, reflecting, and I even heard just the other day that it's not the... It's not the experiences we have that change our lives. It's the reflection on those experiences. So bringing that back to our consciousness, if we're allowing something else to manage our conscious, we're not even like a human being anymore. And and as a leader, how do you lead and how do you be how do you be present in all of that if with people if you're not present to yourself? Right. So I also want to ask you had brought up contemplation and reflection. So how do you see contemplation and reflection dovetailing into silence and solitude? Well, that's a part of it, right? Contemplation is being present to yourself and you can't contemplate if you're not silent and you don't have to be alone. But you know the, the, the practice of silence and solitude, let me make it practical here, right? Solitude and silence is alone. That doesn't mean that there's nobody around you per se, Ideally, you're not interacting with people and you are alone. Maybe there's somebody, like you go to a park, there's other people in the park, but you are alone. You're you're by yourself and you're not distracting yourself from your thoughts. So there's an aspect of meditation to this, but you put your phone away, you leave it somewhere. You don't even bring a book. You could bring a journal. That's perfectly fine. Um, And but, but that's what that looks like. When I first started doing this several years ago, I went to uh, I went to our, our house towards the beach that we have, and I spent about 36 hours by myself. And my rule was no screens. I could have music. No, I couldn't have music because it was being silent. No music, no screens. I did allow myself a book at that point and a journal. And that was it, 36 hours of that. And, you know... At first, like I said, my my thoughts were coming. Eventually, it was like I broke through the sound barrier and things kind of went flat. And I was like, oh, okay, right? So if you're looking to practice it, don't be a hero, right? Don't try to do 36 hours. Just like Adrian was saying, just do what you can. Five minutes, 10 minutes, or a half hour, a half a day. There's a, a great resource I recently learned about called the 12-hour walk which is kind of an idea. Now, I, I think that might be a little much for people just beginning, but 
that's a resource that you just, I think it's 12hourwalk.com and look at that. But like, you know, it's really just that simple. Get alone, put your phone away, be present. And that can be very intimidating too, uh, as far as what emotions come up. So be aware of that. And, you know, therapy is a very, very real and good thing. So if you need, if there's trauma you got to deal with, do that. But, you know, when you're at a place where you can start to practice that, I think that that's a, a pretty easy thing to do. So that leads very easily into the practice of contemplation and reflection. And so, you know, the, the, some might call it prayer, meditation, mindfulness. It's really being present to your own thoughts, right? Stepping back from that daily grind, getting out of that pond of water, so to speak, and, and just reflecting on you, your emotions. How are you showing up? What are your thoughts? What are your actions? And, and, and all of that. So contemplation is simply just contemplation and reflection. It's simply just thinking about you, about what's going on, and then reflecting on that. Is that something you've done a lot of, Adrian? I love silence and solitude and contemplation and reflection. So in my my top Clifton strengths, I do have high intellection, which means that I like quiet. I like to think. Um, you know, anybody with high strategic thinking themes, they're really going to be up in their head a lot, probably have a really active and busy mind. And so for me, I feel like my mind is almost always chaotic. And I think I saw something on Pinterest, you know, a quote that said, basically, my mind is like you've taken the jump, the junk drawer and emptied it onto a trampoline, right? Like that's all the stuff that's going on in my brain. So I think that I really have to be intentional about carving out that that quiet time to let my thoughts settle, just as you had mentioned. And so it's a really important part of being a leader because I think it also leads to clarity. And when you have so much going on in your brain, you can't get really clear on necessarily what is the next step or how do I lead or how do I work through this problem? And so I think taking care of your your mental health and, and your thoughts is is really an important strategy to being a good leader too, because it will lead to clarity and insight and creativity as well. Yeah, you're making me think, which I love. It's going back to that uh, water analogy. Silence, solitude. I keep saying silence and solitude. That's how I'm used to saying it, but I'm purposely leading with solitude first because solitude and and then silence goes hand in hand. When you lead with solitude, it's letting the, the sediment settle. And then contemplation is that next step that allows you to see what's there. Yeah. Right. And and that's what that contemplation kind of, you know, goes towards. And so a uh, couple of of tips, right? If you want to start to develop this practice, journaling. I resisted journaling for years. And finally, about a year and a half, two years ago, I just started. And what was overwhelming to me, Adrian, was that I had this thought I had to write so much and whatever. I had this big lofty, like I had to do all this. And I'm like, nope, I'm just going to do five minutes. And I started with that. And now I'm like, I'll sit there and contemplate and reflect and journal for 45 minutes, no problem. You know, and 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 I've I, it's become that important to me, but I had to start with something, right? What could I what could I reasonably do that wasn't overwhelming? So get a journal. And so many coaching clients ask me, well, what do I journal about? Well, uh, we'll have up on our website, you know, a whole list of questions that we found helpful. But you know, things like, hey, you know, what was most challenging to, today to me? Um, how did I handle that? What could I have done differently? Um, what emotions did I experience today? What triggered them? Uh, what belief might be behind those emotions? Uh, what are they telling me? 
real quick story. Uh, I brought somebody in local that, uh, you know, a counselor and he did a session on burnout with my, my business a while back. And he started out by asking us, okay, great. From the moment you woke up to now, how many emotions did you experience? Write them down. And I had like one or two <laughs> and there are other people that had like 20 and I'm like, I had no idea there were that many emotions. Like, and I realized at that moment I was emotionally illiterate. I had no idea how to speak emotions. And since then I've been working on naming them and and my vocabulary, but like, that's a really important thing to understand because the, your emotions are those lights on the dashboard to tell you what's going on. You, you should not ignore them. They are important. So understanding that is, is, is important. And, uh, are there any, uh, and when you think about journaling, are there any prompts or questions that come to your mind that have been helpful to you, Adrian? Well, I have to admit that I'm not a journaler and I, I'm trying to think of what are some strategies that we can offer people who are not journalers or who maybe bristle at the thought of journaling. I would say I've gone in seasons of journaling where I have done that and, and I'm just not in that season now. I would say I'm more of like a post-it note journaler because I unload all of my thoughts on post-it notes as they come to me. Um, I walk a lot and I really use that time kind of as a reflection and meditation. I, I tell my husband I'm going to unwind my mind. And so I know there's a lot of studies too about being out in nature. And so even if you can't journal just to get out and reflect, because that's a lot of times when that's my letting the sediment settle time is, you know, kind of working out problems or thinking about how I experienced something or how I felt about something. So if you're not a journaler, maybe just start by going for a walk or just post-it note journal, right? Like it seems less intimidating. Just jot down a couple of thoughts that are on your mind or things that you need to kind of brain dump and, and use that as a starting point to reflect on how you're feeling, how you're experiencing, what are you working through right now? Yeah. I love that you walk. Motion creates emotion, right? And so by, I, I was speaking with a coaching client this morning where he's like, you know what? When I'm driving, like it's so much easier for me to process through things. And I'm like, there's a, it, that's real. Like you're, yeah. you're, you're, if you're, if your mind tends toward the unaided mind tends towards chaos, you need something for it to be occupied with. And so having like walking, running, uh, I do CrossFit that helps or driving helps me as well. It's just your, your brain's occupied, but it's, you can still contemplate, right? So that that like the walking or the driving and that motion, it really helps us to to do that. Um, a few other uh, resources might be something like Calm, the app. It's an, there's a couple apps called there's Calm, Headspace. There's another one called Centering Prayer, Hollow, H-A-L-L-O-W. It's a Catholic centered app. And you just set a timer for five minutes. Find a place where you'll be uninterrupted and comfortable and not distracted. You could use a centering thought to kind of just, you know, kind of get yourself like, you know, um, a lot of something that I use a lot of times uh, with my faith is, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't lack anything. I lack nothing, right? And I just repeat that or or time that with my breath by breathing in and breathing out and uh, and just kind of get centered and, and go. So we're kind of close to the end of this part of the conversation. Uh, next conversation, we are going to cover the next two, such as rest uh, and authentic community. We just want to make sure that we give enough uh, you know, time to each one of those. But you know, as we wrap all of this up, I, I, uh, I want to just, we're going to mention a few resources. I, I mentioned the idea of emotions and, and naming your emotions. And so as you get into solitude, 
and silence and contemplation, you know, emotions are an important part of that. Adrian, I know you had a resource you wanted to mention to everybody, as do I. Yeah, I have a, a book that has been in my pile that I will get to someday, but it's called The Book of Human Emotions, an Encyclopedia of Feeling from Anger to Wanderlust. And it's by Tiffany Watt Smith. Um, there has been no endorsement for this book, but I just am insanely curious about emotions and, and how we feel and how we show up for people. So as others are exploring the emotions that they're feeling, I think that language is so important to being able to express ourselves. And the more language we have, the better able we are able to express ourselves. So being able to understand more more of those emotions that are on that spectrum. Two resources I, I would offer on emotions is going to be Brene's Brown's, uh, Brene Brown's book called Atlas of the Heart. Again, I have not read that either. And yet I, I've, I've read some of it. Let's be honest. I've read a few, a little bit of it, and it is, it's a beautiful book and it's really well written. There's also another book that is Enneagram centric that I don't know if you know about, uh, Adrian, but it's called Why Emotions Matter by John Collins and his wife. Uh, I don't remember her first name, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a really good book. I've read sex, segments of that. It's, it's been very good. So let me offer a challenge. And I, I only hesitate to share this because I know this may be scary for some of us, especially as leaders, to carve this time out. But I want to challenge you to carve out 30 minutes. Doesn't even have to be 30 minutes, but I think 30 minutes is a good start if you can. Whatever you can do, don't be a hero. Just do what you can. Go find a place that you can be uninterrupted by yourself and just be for 30 minutes. Maybe that's a park bench. Maybe it's uh, going to uh, uh, out in the wilderness or your back deck on a certain day and time. But just find that spot for 30 minutes and, and just be for 30 minutes and just notice what comes up. There are some really good practices from a meditational standpoint. And I'm not even saying to close your eyes, but just, you know, allow your thoughts to kind of come and imagine yourself in a river and just let them float off, right? Just Notice them and let them go. They'll challenge you to do that for 30 minutes and just see what happens. If you do that, let us know what happens. How is that experience for you? And then, of course, as always, if you have questions or things you want to know more about, please let us know. You know, Engage with us on Instagram at The Overflowing Life. And you can see us at TheOverflowingLife.com as well. Join us next week as we conclude our enlightening series on ancient practices. We'll be diving into the topics of rest and authentic community. Much like the practices we explore today, rest and genuine community are fundamental for a leader's health and wholeness. If you're struggling to incorporate intentional rest into your daily or weekly routine, or if you're seeking a community where you can truly be yourself outside of work, this episode is for you. We've got valuable insights and practical advice that make a real difference in your leadership journey. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Overflowing Life. If our message struck a chord with you, please subscribe and connect with us. Share your thoughts, questions, and stories with us on Instagram at The Overflowing Life or visit TheOverflowingLife.com. And if you're looking for coaching that helps you create an overflowing life, please reach out to us. We'd love to partner with you. See you next week.